The first reading is taken from Matthew chapter 25, starting at verse 31, which can be found on page 995 of the Church Bibles. It's Matthew 25, starting at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was ill, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was ill and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or ill or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So keep a finger in that passage or an order of service and flick over a few pages to Ephesians chapter 2, page 1174. That's Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 8. Page 1174. For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you both. Uh, Let's pray as we have a look at these passages. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we pray, Lord, that you'd use it to fashion us, to challenge us, and to encourage us in you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So please keep uh, the Matthew passage open, but also have uh, the Ephesians passage um, to hand as well, because we uh, are in fact going to use both of them. 
Uh, We're in a sermon series at the moment, which is called Marks of Godliness, and we've had a look at gentleness, we've had a look at thankfulness, and today we're heading on to kindness and goodness. Uh, We'll follow on next week on to peace. We want to grow in godly character. That is our desire, and that's why we're challenged and encouraged by these particular passages. So from Matthew 25, which you've got open in front of you. Now, you might um, have a look at these words, kindness and goodness, and your initial question is, what is the difference between these two? And uh, biblically, we see, in fact, these two words are very similar. Sometimes they're used almost interchangeably. But kindness, uh, mostly, as it's used in the Bible, is about a heart thing. It's about desiring the best for others. Whereas goodness is something that puts kindness into action. So kindness about the heart. Goodness is putting kindness into action. And I'd love to encourage you as a church, uh, right from the the get-go, that I think, St. Michael's, you are amazing at goodness and kindness. One of the joys of being here with you and a part of this church is we see it all over the place. Kindness of your hearts and goodness in action. Uh, We see it in the Gate Pregnancy Crisis Centre which was set up by us here as a church and we still have people helping in that. Uh, The Pimlico Foundation which we jointly founded and again many of you are involved in that on the the Pimlico Estates. Uh, We see it in the St. Barnabas Holiday Club just last week, uh, which many of you came back with, with so much joy in your heart and stories of what had happened amongst those children in that place in Hackney. Um, Then there's collecting food for the Westminster Food Bank. That box out there is so often full and needs to be taken by taxi to Westminster Chapel. Thank you so much um, for that. And then there's those of you who help with the London City Mission, and there's hampers in December, and literally the list just carries on. As a church, I think you are incredible at helping in this way. You're great at uh, goodness and kindness. And then there's also the personal side of it, the individuals who make up St. Michael's as a church. Uh, One of our number, Tom Watts, is in hospital. He's been visited by at least five of us here at St. Michael's. He's a man who needs our prayers, and thank you, ML, for praying for him. Uh, And he's a man who needs visits, and he's getting them. Thank you. Uh, There's another of our number, Mary, who's in hospital, also needs our prayers, Mary Berg. Uh, And again, she's been visited. Uh, There's so much going on behind the scenes. And yes, we do need a pastoral a team to care for those and to create a, a structure that means that people don't get left out uh, of, um, of, of, of pastoral caring. Um, but pastoral care, in fact, is also something that happens naturally in a church uh, with Christians who've got the heart of God uh, to reach out to those around us. So I want to encourage you, St. Michael's, as a church in this area. But as you read through this passage about the sheep and the goats, you might have felt slightly jarred. Uh, It's not a comfortable passage to read, in fact. And I think it might have raised a few questions for you as you went through it today. Question number one might have been, 
uh, a practical question. It might have been a, a, a question um, that said, when I walk past people in the street, I never know what to do. Um, because I've tried at times to offer food, but then they don't seem to want food, they just want money. But then if I give money, then I don't know what they're going to do with that money, and it might be used for bad ends. And actually, maybe there was one particular time when someone came to me with a sob story and said, I really need a train ticket to get up to Leeds to see family. And I gave them that money. But then the next day, I saw them round the corner chatting with a friend of mine and trying to get money out of them. So they seem to be just a, a professional beggar with the same story that they, they fleece everyone with. And so the question is a, is a practical one, which is, what should I do? Maybe there's another question which arises as you go through this, which is a theological question. Maybe it's a question of, I thought that I was saved by grace through faith apart from works. And this passage to me just seems quite worksy. It has the feel that I'm saved by what I do rather than through faith. What do I do with that? It confuses me. So that's a theological question, number two. And I think the third question that might come up is an emotional question. With all these other thoughts bubbling around in my head as I read through this passage, I just don't like it. It makes me feel uncomfortable, even as a Christian. What do I do with this emotion? What do I do with all these questions? And in fact, it takes me to the point of saying, Is this passage necessary, or can I just move on to the ones that I prefer in the Bible? And we're going to tackle these three questions. We're going to start with the emotional question of, is it it necessary? We're going to go to the theological question of, am I saved by grace? And then we're going to look at the practical question of, what should I do based on all of this? So firstly, is it necessary? You might well have been in that situation where you're in an aeroplane and the aeroplane is taxiing for takeoff. You want to get to your destination. Uh, Taxiing has been delayed already with some engineering problem. And then you hear this announcement that there's going to be a safety briefing. And you think, I just need to finish that text or I want to get into that book. I want to start that film. I'm not interested in the safety briefing. And is the safety briefing actually necessary? Because the chance of this plane crashing is absolutely minuscule. Now, there's some connection with that sort of safety briefing and what Jesus tells us in chapter 25 here. Except Jesus is telling us that the plane is going to crash. And you have to know what's going to happen at that point. Let's have a look at these first couple of verses. He says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All nations will be gathered before him and he'll separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. There's a judgment to come. When the Son of Man, the one who came in his first coming, as, as a normal bod, uh, someone who didn't look any different to you and me. The Son of Man is, is a term for a human being. He came 
as the Son of Man, he looked pretty normal. In fact, it is the Son of Man who was talking at this point. But there's going to be a time to come, Jesus tells us, when he's going to come in all his glory with the angels with him. And he's going to sit on a glorious throne. And that throne is going to be a throne of judgment. Jesus' first coming changed the world forever. Our Western democracy is based on the moral teaching that Jesus brought in, in his first coming. Even our calendar is divided between before Jesus came and after. And that is just his first coming as the Son of Man. When he comes in judgment, it's going to be a whole lot more radical, where the world, time itself, is literally going to be wrapped up. That's how serious it's going to be. And it's at that point that we will be accountable before him. Did you notice in verse 32 that all nations will be gathered before him? No one gets out of this. All nations uh, gathered before him. Michael Green says about this accountability, uh, he says, I am free to live my life just as I please, but at the end I shall have to give account to the one who gave me my life. We've been given freedom by Christ, freedom by our Creator. You can do what you want in this life, but you will be held accountable, Jesus says at the end, when he comes again and sits on that judgment throne. And there will be different outcomes. Did you spot that as well? He's going to separate the nations like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. The sheep and the goats graze together on the fields throughout the day. And then it comes to the end of the day and, and the sheep can keep warm at night and the goats can't. So the farmer says, sheep go there, sheep go there, sheep go there, goats go there, goats go there, go there, go there. Also, the sheep are clean and the goats are dirty. The sheep don't want their food contaminated um, by the goats that just mess around. And the sheep end up on Jesus' right, the favoured side, and the goats on his left, the place of disfavour. And did you notice that in this dividing of the sheep and the goats, there are going to be some surprises? People we expect to be in the sheep, in fact, in the goats. Or sheep we expect to be far ahead of the flock, in fact aren't. And those ex- we don't even know about, never heard about, right up there near the front, potentially. So this first question to this emotional charge, is this really necessary, is the answer is yes, this is vital and carries eternal consequences. Here's the second question. It's the theological one. Am I still saved by grace? Have a look at verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. The Reformation broke away from an idea of a works-based salvation where the Catholic Church had brought in um, ideas of of things like indulgences where you can buy your way into heaven or you can buy 
redemption for those who you love. And Martin Luther and others uh, led the way away from that and said that has no place um, biblically and therefore in our understanding of how we're saved. Instead, we're saved by grace through faith, apart from works. And grace, as we speak about it, is God's riches at Christ's expense, is how we can understand it. God initiates. God's the one who comes to us. And it comes at his expense. Christ on the cross is the one who redeems our relationship with God the Father. And so our our second passage was Ephesians 2. In the first two verses of that, Paul says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, not by what you do, so that no one can boast. And so, um, and that, in fact, is, is also backed up in the passage. Did you notice the, the verse in, um, sorry, the word in verse 34, inheritance? Uh, Jesus says, take your inheritance. Inheritance isn't something that's earned, but it's something that's given by grace. He says, take your inheritance to those on his right. And, and that is consistent um, throughout Scripture. But there's also more to it. When we came into the world, we're a bit like those people who you see on the road. In fact, I, I cycled past one this morning, walking across the road, completely focused on her mobile phone. Have you seen this? Um, these situations where, 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 where the, the, the green man turns red and someone steps out into the road and carries on going, even though the cars and the bicycles are about to, about to uh, charge through that particular road. And I want to say, this is how we're born. Uh, We're born with this sort of self-focus. We're completely uh, encapsulated in our little world. It's just me as an individual. And then as we go through life, most of us realize that if we're so self-absorbed, we aren't going to get anywhere in life. We need to be interested in other people. So we learn um, to find out about others, to ask them questions, to be involved in the lives of other peoples. But... At the point where we come to faith, something drastic happens, in fact. Because Jesus takes our mobile phone and he does this. When we come to faith, we get in us the Holy Spirit. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then suddenly we find ourselves with God's heart, Jesus' love, Jesus' kindness. Jesus' desire for goodness in us. And we grow in that way. And therefore, outward works of good are just natural. And they spring out from the inside as the Holy Spirit produces them in us. So if we carry on in Ephesians 2, we read in verse 10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And if you want to take Psalm 39 and importance in that, we find out that those good works that have been prepared for us to do have been prepared for us to do before the creation of the world. At the beginning of time, God has ordained us to do things, and they come from that heart. 
So we come to a place where we are still saved by grace. We are still saved through our faith in Jesus Christ and the work that he did for us on the cross, which is the ultimate good work that's ever been performed. But we also come to a place where the judge, Jesus, is able to judge us based on this change in our life. Because when we have Jesus' heart in us, when we are living for him, good works will naturally be produced. Kindness will be in us. So the answer to question two, am I still saved by faith? The answer is yes. Yes. And to do good works. And so we have to move on to question three, which is the practical one, which is what should I do? And I want to start this with a caveat, which I think is quite important. As we dig into growing a heart of kindness and practically stepping out into good works, the temptation can be one which is the same as when we want to grow in prayer and when we want to grow in worship, which is that that thing that we're growing in can become an absolute. And it should never be an absolute. Our focus should be Jesus. He is the author and perfecter of life. He is the one our heart yearns for. Our focus should be Jesus. As we focus on Jesus, we naturally want to worship him and speak out and, and, and worship about how, and song about how incredible he is, what he's done for us. We naturally want to pray as well. We want to speak out and, and ask him for things. We want to talk to him in prayer. And as we focus on Jesus, we find our heart gets changed for what's on his heart as well. And we step out in goodness as our hearts grow in kindness. So let our hearts be focused on Jesus. Let him be the absolute in our life. But we can do things practically. First of all, we can pray. Did you notice just how much we could potentially be doing uh, from 30, verse 37 when, when we read it? There's just so much that we could be doing. Feeding the hungry, uh, giving the thirsty something to drink. Um, meeting clothing needs, meeting hospitality needs, uh, visiting people. Um, Your mind can just spin. There's just so much we could be doing. How can we possibly do all of it? And I think Jesus says to us, don't worry. You don't have to do all of it. Rather, ask God, what do you want me to do today on this particular day? Put on my heart what's on your heart for me to do. And there also seems to be a bit of an emphasis in this passage on, uh, on, on reaching out in goodness to those in the church, to Christians. From verse 40, we find he says, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, those are disciples, uh, fellow Christians, Jesus says, you did for me. There's a focus on the church and the needs of the church, visiting people in hospital reaching out to those who in need, reaching out to the bereaved, maybe providing food to those who have just had a baby, that sort of thing. We want to meet the needs of those in the church. But it's not just confined to the church, as we find out in verse 45, uh, because he drops off brothers and sisters. He just says, truly, whatever 
you did for one of the least of these, uh, you did not do for me. So we meant to reach out to the needs of those in the church and those outside the church. But ask God each day, what do you want me to do this particular day that you've given me? So that's the first thing. What should I do? Pray. Number two is a focus on everyday needs. Did you see that the list that Jesus gives are pretty small things, actually? Uh, we, we all want to come to a... So this sounds awful. Um, but we, we wouldn't... We wouldn't uh, Shut another phrase this now. Um, uh, we, we would love to be the hero who pulls someone out of a, a car wreck and uh, sprints them off to the side just before the car explodes and someone gets it on video and you end up as an Instagram sensation or everyone's tweeting about you and you've done this incredible heroic good deed out of a kind heart. But these things that Jesus talks about, clothing and uh, hospitality, visiting, just aren't all that heroic. And in fact, they're things that you can do in your normal, everyday life as you spend time with your family and your friends in church and at work. They just flow normally. Focus on those things um, that people probably never find out about. So pray. Focus on the everyday things. Then accept the cost. And the cost might be money. And the cost might be more expensive than money. It might be time. People in the city tend to have money, but they don't have time. And if we have time, we don't feel like we've got quality time. But people need our quality time. And you know, the greatest need in this Western world, I think, is having someone listen to you. Someone take an interest in you. We've lost the art in this world of asking questions. Tell me about you. I want to find out about you. I've got all the time in the world for you. Talk to me. Let's find quality time for people. Let's listen to them. And it might mean that we have to delay what we're doing. It might mean that we have to change our plans. But if you have to change your plans, if you delayed as a result of spending time with someone... That's not an interruption, because Jesus says he wanted you to do that before the creation of the world. That was his plan, for you to do that good. It's not an interruption. It's what he's called you to do. So we pray, we look for everyday things, we accept the cost, and then we ask God to grow our heart and capacity. If these are the things that Jesus is going to be judging us on as he sits on his judgment seat at the wrapping up of the world, then it means that these are divine things. These are things that we need Jesus' help with. And so we need to be saying to him, Jesus, grow my heart in kindness. Grow this gift of the Spirit in me. And then in goodness, we need to be reaching out practically. For those who've had children or seen those with with children, when you have one, you think, I'm absolutely at my capacity. And then a second one comes along, and you say, this is incredible. I've actually got capacity for two, but there's no chance I could have three. And then you have a third one, and suddenly there's grace for a third. And 
people end up having many more than three. Um, so I can't pat myself on the shoulder. But somehow our capacity grows. And I think the same is true with goodness. As we step out in goodness, watch Jesus grow your capacity for good works. We need his help, but he will do it. So the answer to the third question, what should I do? The practical question is pray, seek the everyday things, accept the cost, and ask God to grow your heart and your capacity. And this, as I said, is a church. St. Michael's, you are a church who are good at this. But just imagine how much more he could do in us as we ask him to grow us in kindness and goodness. Just imagine what would happen in this place amongst these people, but also in our world around us and in our parish. Let's pray.